U.S. foreign policy towards Syria. What is it exactly? Why is that a question now more than ever before in the Trump administration? And are U.S. troops pulling out or staying put? Even the president doesn't seem to know right now. This is the state of America. There is breaking news. CNN has learned the United States is preparing a full and rapid withdrawal of troops from Syria. I don't know who advised that this decision be made, but it's a terrible mistake. There will be a strong, deliberate and orderly withdrawal. President Trump has just announced that the defense secretary, James Mattis, is leaving. This is somebody inside the administration standing up to the president and saying, You are going on the wrong direction here, and I can't serve you. More mixed messages from the White House. The president's national security advisor now says there will be no rapid withdrawal. Who's speaking, Gloria, for the U.S.? Well, that's a really good question. Is it the president? That's a really good question. I'm Kate Baldwin in New York. To our viewers watching around the world, this is State of America. U.S. troops are leaving Syria. Or are they really? This isn't one of those issues with a lot of gray area or really any gray area at all. But somehow the Trump administration has been able to find it, leaving pretty much everyone from U.S. lawmakers to U.S. generals to U.S. allies overseas left in the dark. It all started with this, a surprise Twitter announcement from the president last month. We've been fighting for a long time in Syria. I've been president for almost two years, and we've really stepped it up. And we have won against ISIS. We've beaten them, and we've beaten them badly. We've taken back the land. And now it's time for our troops to come back home. His words there are key. First of all, ISIS has not been defeated in Syria. Just a day after the tweet, CNN got exclusive video of ISIS attacks in northern Syria. But that's oddly almost beside the point here. When the president said they're all coming back, he also added, and they're coming back now. That shocked everyone, including the defense secretary, Jim Mattis, who then abruptly resigned over the shift in strategy, writing in his parting letter to the president that he deserves a secretary whose, quote, views are better aligned with yours on these and other subjects. Jim Mattis is someone who very much stands on his character, his ethics, and feels responsibility to the troops for 40 years on a deeply emotional basis. And for him to make this decision tonight to say, because you have the right to a secretary of defense whose views are better aligned with yours, this is Jim Mattis telling Donald Trump, I can no longer serve you. Add to that, the announcement left Trump's allies on Capitol Hill almost speechless. I can assure you it was done uh, not based on sound military advice. All the advice the president received from his national security team was it's not time to withdraw from Syria, uh, that ISIS will come back. They have not been defeated. This is a giant step backward. At that point, the immediate withdrawal meant 30 days. About a week later, during the president's surprise visit to Iraq, he described the decision-making process this way. I said, let's get out of Syria. Let's bring our young people home. And they said, sir, could we have six more months? I said, yep, you got six more months. Let's go. And I gave him six months. Then I said, let's get out. And they said, sir, could we have six more months? I said, yep, you got six more months. And... And they said again recently, could we have more time? I said, nope, you can't have any more time. 
Following that trip, the timetable started to slip. 30 days became a four-month withdrawal. But even then, the president said this. And you use the word slowly when you're describing the withdrawal from Syria. Yeah, I never said fast or slow. Yeah, what's, your, I just, what's your timetable? When do you want troops to be out? I know somebody said four months, but I, I, didn't, I didn't say that either. I, I'm getting out. We're getting out of Syria. And then the president's national security advisor went to Israel. And you would think from John Bolton, a national security advisor, you would hear the same that you heard from the president, that the troops are coming home, they're coming home now, and ISIS is defeated. But no, this happened. We're going to be discussing uh, the president's decision to withdraw, but to do so uh, from northeast Syria in a way that makes sure that uh, ISIS uh, is defeated and is not able to uh, 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 revive itself. Wait, what? This is yet another record scratch moment here. These, there are now conditions on the withdrawal, and now the administration's position is ISIS has not been defeated, and so troops are not coming home now, which may be said a different way. The administration's position is back to the Syria policy that was in place before Trump announced this earthquake shift in policy via Twitter. Well, that's how Senator Lindsey Graham seems to see it, and he's relieved. The president's slowing down and he's reevaluating his policies. I think this is uh, the uh, reality setting in that you've got to plan this out. Another longtime Republican foreign policy expert, Max Boot, put it this way. Well, I'm wondering if Jim Mattis can unresign now. Unlikely. Democrats, of course, put it another way. He's changing course like a drunken sailor, okay? You know, that, that, there's no thought behind it. What we need is actually rational policy in Syria on border security. All we have is the emotional rantings of a child, all right? And he goes back and forth depending on what the last person says to him. But wait, there's more. Now the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is weighing in and trying to argue there's been no change, no shift, and no contradiction from the Trump administration on Syria. We all just apparently either misheard or made it up. There's no contradiction whatsoever. This is a story made up by the media. And so it is, it is possible to hold in your head the thought that we would withdraw our forces, our uniformed forces from Syria and continue America's crushing campaign. While your head is spinning with that one, please remember this. The decision, or lack thereof, from the president resonates far beyond Syria, where 2,000 troops remain in limbo. There are also 14,000 U.S. troops currently serving in Afghanistan, still part of America's longest war, and more than 5,000 in Iraq. What are they supposed to think about their future? Who are they supposed to believe in terms of what's the strategy? What's the policy? Are they coming home or are they staying there? Questions that, as of now, have no easy answers, though they deserve them. Let's go there right now, though. Clarissa Ward is in northern Syria. She's joining me right now. Clarissa, thank you so much for staying up to join me. I really appreciate it. Um, Our Pentagon unit has been reporting that the first U.S. military ground equipment is now being withdrawn from Syria. It is signal that the drawdown is beginning. What does this and all the confusion over the policy mean there where you are? 
Well, to the Kurdish people who are largely in control of these areas, who have been fighting and dying uh, for U.S. forces uh, in the battle against ISIS here in Syria, it means that their future hangs in the balance. There are very real concerns about what will happen uh, when U.S. troops withdraw. There are several reasons for those concerns. Primarily, the Kurds uh, are very worried about the next-door neighbor, Turkey. Turkey views the Kurds here in Syria as an exit existential terrorist threat. Uh, They have told me that they are begging U.S. officials, negotiating with them to provide some guarantees that even after the U.S. leaves, there will be some protection or measure of protection afforded to them against Turkish forces to avert uh, a potential bloodbath. They're also concerned, Kate, about a resurgence of ISIS. And we've seen this movie before in Iraq. We know how it can unfortunately end. When you have a power vacuum, uh, there is always the potential for insurgent forces to coalesce and regroup and make a comeback potentially. So there's a lot of concerns, but there's also anger uh, and confusion and a sense, honestly, of hurt feelings. People here have sacrificed an enormous amount. Roughly 8,000 Kurds have given their life in the fight against ISIS. Uh, They believed and felt that the Americans were their steadfast allies in this fight. And now there's a sense that they've been abandoned. So very real palpable concerns and fears on the ground here. Also, a lot of confusion, as you alluded to. Is the U.S. really leaving? When is the U.S. really leaving? What are the conditions that the U.S. will leave on? Uh, There is some hope among Kurdish officials that they'll be able to negotiate those guarantees that I just alluded to. But at this stage, Kate, it's anyone's guess. Unbelievable. Clarissa, thank you so much for being there. Coming up for us, more on the uncertain future of the United States in Syria, the far-reaching implications of the president's decision there, whatever that day's decision and announcement may be. The panel weighs in next. We're bringing our troops home and we're bringing them home now. Those words by President Trump setting off alarm bells and fallout far and wide. First to go was his defense secretary. But then the strategy changed and changed again. Or did it not at all and it's all the same? I honestly can't keep track. The panel may help us tonight. Alex Burns, CNN political analyst and national political reporter for The New York Times. Jamie Metzl is here. He's a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. He worked in the State Department and National Security Council under President Clinton. Max Boot is a CNN global affairs analyst, senior fellow with the Council on Foreign Relations. And Rob Astorino is a CNN political commentator and a member of Donald Trump's re-election advisory council. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Max, is it clear to you now what the U.S. policy is toward Syria, in Syria, are troops coming home, are troops staying there, are there conditions? Well, given the fact that troops actually started coming home today, I would say that is indeed the policy of the U.S. government, which is not terribly surprising because that's what Donald Trump, who is the president, after all, said on December 19th. I'll say, though, it's still not even clear of that. We know the equipment has been moving well, out. No, it's but not... Moving the equipment out is the first step of the a retrograde with the troops. But what was so unclear was the fact that on Sunday, John Bolton, the national security advisor, said we're not bringing them home until we meet certain conditions, such as safeguarding the Kurds and defeating ISIS. And right. it could take months or years to meet those conditions. And it's clear that John Bolton was speaking for John Bolton, not for the actual government, which is continuing now with this uh, uh, withdrawal of the troops. So 
Now it's no longer the policy that was announced in Israel. It is now the policy that was announced on Twitter. Is you know, that where you think we, we are? We could have a new policy tomorrow, but I'm saying as of today, <laughs> it seems like the troops are withdrawing. But Jeez. there's no consistency yeah. here. It's all confusion. As of this moment, that's where it is. I mean, I remember people saying, though, Jamie, that one of the reasons that they voted for, I know you probably you heard it as well, Alex. One of the reasons people voted for Donald Trump is they liked the idea that he wouldn't um, he wouldn't telegraph his military moves. He was unpredictable on the world stage. People didn't know what to do, to do with him, and that was an asset. Is that what this is here? And if that's what this is, is why is it a bad thing? If you want unpredictable chaos, then Donald Trump is your man. But the problem is that a responsible United States is the foundation of global international order. And that doesn't mean that we should be stuck with any kind of position that we because we've had it in the past. Mm -hmm. But it means that if we're going to change, it can't be just randomly. Someone has a phone call. They change U.S. policy. Then somebody else changes and changes it back. The reason why the U.S. has been able to keep order in the world for so many decades uh, is that people trust the word of the president of the United States. If not, we would have had to had, have had a military of hundreds of millions of people to keep order. And the reason why we've been able to do it is the values of the United States, the process of the United States, that is the key foundation of the world. And if you take that away, then, in the famous words, the jungle grows back, and that's what we're seeing. Uh, on a purely just fact-finding basis, is it clear... Who's right on this one, Alex? Because the president announced something. It appears for sure that it changed, or Mattis wouldn't have left, Lindsey Graham wouldn't have lit his hair on fire, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then you have Mick Mulvaney and John Bolton also saying at different times, it's, we're all speaking from the same script. This is, there is no contradiction here. I don't get it. I mean, that clearly is not true, that they're all speaking from the same script, right? And this is one of the reasons why the president is such a mercurial person to... Uh, cover or interact with or take your cues from uh, internationally is you know, he will come out and say something. It will often be a sort of not terribly well-formed or explained policy statement, right. uh, if you can call it a policy statement, right, right? as opposed there, to a sort of statement a, of goals. No context. Right. We've, we've defeated, we've, beat, we've won against ISIS. They're coming home, they're coming home now. And nothing, really nothing more. And then people go in and meet with him. Lindsey Graham goes in and meet with him, comes out and announces that things whether that reflects actual change or yeah. what Lindsey Graham hopes happened or, yeah, or the right. argument that he made to the president that he's then hoping to make to the president again on television. Uh, it's just sort of a hall of mirrors, right? Obviously, uh, as Max was saying, you know, the president, it, when he issues an order to come home, the troops are going to come home, right? And it appears right now that's what's happening. But it is sort of staggering uh, that a president who's known for really his ability to command the public conversation yes. has done essentially nothing to explain what's going on and to persuade people uh, that it's the right choice. Before changing again right. on it. That's a really important point. Do you see a problem here, Rob? Well, I think Alex brought up a good point, too, in that I think there needs to be a better explanation of what we're doing. The pullout has begun, you know, and now means next 120 days. So they're starting. But that Are doesn't, you sure? Honestly. Well, that's the time frame that they've given us. Next four months, that the troops will be out. It was so 30 days before frame. that, and now, and then it was conditions. Honestly, I, I, I don't... Continue. Look, I think the biggest Continue. thing is we've got to make sure that some sort of, and I think this will happen, some sort of deal with Turkey will be in place before the majority of these troops are out to protect the Kurds, because we don't want to see a massacre there. The, the you raise an important point. What role do you think or impact do you think Turkey's statement saying that, okay, okay, John Bolton, you can say that, but I can't go, I, what, did, what did Erdogan say? I can't swallow that. 
can't swallow those the, those measures that you're, you're calling for. What role do you think that played in what we're looking at right now? Well, I mean, Erdogan is not interested in a deal to safeguard the Kurds. He wouldn't even see John Bolton. That's right. And the withdrawal is proceeding anyway. I think very interesting to hear what uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said in Cairo yesterday. He said, well, we learned that when America retreats, chaos often follows. When we neglect our friends, resentment builds. And when we partner with enemies, they advance. That's actually a pretty good description of the Trump policy in Syria. He was trying to denounce the Obama administration policy, but that's actually exactly what... Uh, what the Trump administration is doing in Syria, retreating right now and providing room for our enemies, Iran and Russia, to take over the rest of and, Syria. And it's, it's That's even important context. And, and yeah. Please continue. But please. Chuck yeah. Hagel, Defense Secretary under Obama, yeah. he spoke to Christian and he said that the lack of foreign lack of strategy in Syria was the single biggest foreign policy mistake by the Obama administration. And, and what we're looking at now, I don't know how much different it is, but it just shows that there's blame to go around. It's not an easy answer. But that's the, yeah. you're the president, it's your job. It's not easy, but compared to this, compared to this chaos, uh, Pompeo said that the U.S. mission was to kick Iran out of Syria, but the United States' action is actually significantly strengthening Iran. I mean, it's just, at least with Obama, there was some effort to articulate some kind of coherent policy. There was some effort to try to use the United States government to bring together a policy. I don't think there was a successful policy developed, yeah. but at least that was a goal. I don't even know if having a coherent policy is, in fact, the goal of this administration. I mean, it could be that chaos itself is the goal of this president, who is just trying to kick up dust to cover whatever else is happening in, in the U.S. domestically. I mean, that is what's really frightening in the days of George W. Bush. At least for me, I was a critic of the administration, but I never doubted that the intention of the Bush administration was to lead the United States in a way that enhanced America's strategic interests. Yeah. I have no idea whether that's a motivation. And I got to tell you, I just came back from Afghanistan, and it's, they need clarity. They want clarity. They want to do their jobs. They'll come home if you tell them that they're supposed to come home. But leaving them in the lurch and in limbo, I think, is the worst possible thing you could do. We'll continue to talk about it. Stay with me, guys. Coming up, a real or manufactured crisis along the border, a government shutdown that shows no signs of letting up, and hundreds of thousands of government workers going without pay as a result. Where is this headed? That's next. These people cannot go to their fathers to cover their payments, their, their, their cost. Can you? Can any of you, if this happened to you? If you can, good luck. That's wonderful for you. But that doesn't speak for most families in our country. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi taking a thinly veiled jab at the president there, you could probably tell. A pretty perfect example of the state of the relationship between the Democratic leaders and the president right now. And a pretty perfect statement on the state of play with regard to the government shutdown that is now making history for how long it has dragged on. Neither side showing any sign of giving in. Is that because they both sides think that they are winning this political battle while government workers are caught in the middle? Let's find out. Alex, who is winning this fight? Is either side winning this fight right now? I don't know that either side feels great about how this is going. I think the Democrats feel like their position is simple and consistent and their party is united on it, right, which is just reopen the government with whatever kind of continuing resolution it's going to take to keep things essentially at the status quo level really of a month ago. haven't seen 
You've seen no, no cracks. Break, You've seen right? no cracks on the Democratic side. You haven't even seen, you know, a Joe Manchin or, you know, conservative, <laughs> the, one of the few conservative Democrats uh, left in Congress come out and say, you know, look, like, let's just build the guy his wall. On the Republican side, it's not that the president and his allies think they're winning this fight. It's that they don't know how to end this fight without conceding that they lost, right? So that's where this conversation about an emergency, a declaration of a national emergency Mm -hmm. comes into play. Is there a way that the president could, you know, try a legally risky gambit, uh, you know, essentially kick the issue over to the courts uh, that would give him the political cover with his own base that he needs to say, look, we endured the longest government shutdown ever. I walked away from the table with Chuck and Nancy. We're going to keep fighting this in the courts, but, you know, I I am now going to restore the full services of government. I don't know that he gets there. I know. That's not even a legally risky strategy. That could be the strategy. The goal could be to do something that is patently illegal with and then force the courts to say that it's illegal and say, hey, look, I tried. And then you reopen the government and not even care about the fight, not even care about winning this at all. Trump doesn't could care less about actually building a wall. This wall is a vehicle. If, If the goal of the Trump administration was to buy five billion dollars worth of security, this is the last thing that that they would do. So this is all about politics, and in my mind has nothing to do with security. Rob, what do you say? Well, I don't think it's patently illegal. You have a Democrats who are saying that, yeah, it's probably permissible under some of these statutes, but I don't think that's the right way to go anyway. I think they should work it out with Congress. Then it's absolute. The money is there and use it for that purpose as opposed to emergency standards. But I do think, look, 79% of the people polled in America this week said it's either a crisis or a problem at the border. And you, you got, I mean, it doesn't even pass the laugh test when Democrats say what? there's no issue at the border anymore with the, with the wall and, and border security and, you know, it's a manufactured crisis. I do, but on. I do want to ask you about this. I, I actually really want to ask you about this because if the president has a point that he cares about security at the border, I, 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 why does the president and the administration continue to use information that is wrong, facts that are not facts, well, not statistics that are not correct? It, it, calling it an unfortunate misstatement that there, what was it, four thousand terrorists have been have been oh. interdicted at the border. Not accurate. You've got sixty thousand. Most of these terrorists come sixty thousand a month. Sixty thousand a month are coming in here. Sixty thousand what? The people. 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 Right. Right. So what, we've got. We have a massive a issue. Let's, why don't they use their numbers correctly? Let's, let's put we, that in perspective, though. Let's be realistic here. In the year two thousand, there were one point six million people apprehended at the southern border. In 2018, there were 400,000 people apprehended at the southern border. So one-fourth of the level that we saw in the year 2000, there is not a crisis. The number of undocumented immigrants in America is at the lowest point since 2004 in the last 15 years. And if you actually are worried about terrorism, there are more potential terrorists coming from Canada than from Mexico. So how come we're not building the the wall along the northern border? The terror database does show that. Nearly a a dozen people on a terror watch list were caught at the southern border, 41 who were non-citizens came through the northern border. What, what do you do with these facts? The facts are we have an issue, and we've had an issue, because Obama tried to deal with it, Clinton tried to deal with it, Bush tried to not, deal with it. We've been dealing with this inaccurate. issue for a not long time. Not inaccurate. Why can't they get their facts right? It's not an emergency, an emergency It has though. been an issue and an emergency for 20 years now. And the wall Worth is, the, the, the is, wall is a portion is, of it. It's nothing of an it answer. Is a portion I mean, of it. And like I said, if we have $5 billion to fix this problem, it's there's not a fixing the problem. It's a part of it. Even to address it? In, like this would be the thousandth thing that you would do but with a rational strategy. Why would the Democrats offer twenty-five billion dollars? This is the basic disconnect between. Why didn't you take it? Keep between going the, 
the places where the president has an argument that actually might appeal to the public and yeah. an argument that he's actually making. People do believe there's a problem at the southern border. Uh, border control, uh, immigration enforcement, these are generally politically popular, even with many of the moderate voters who rejected part of that money was for in the last agents. election. The wall is not popular, right? The government shutdown is not popular. The president is not popular. And he's not offering arguments right now that are designed to persuade people who dislike him and dislike the wall but are concerned about illegal immigration to come over to his side on this one. If he were f having this fight about a massive new interior immigration enforcement, I think that'd be a much tougher fight for Democrats to have. The wall is not a fight they fear. So let them come in first and then deal with it? I think, you know, but I do think... They do show here. up, by, they are here, here and they, they show up to their immigration, to I, immigration court. I do think he missed an opportunity in his well, speech earlier in the week. I think he could have changed the entire dialogue. And let me be Gone very big. clear. That speech did nothing. Well, from the Republican reached, side and the Democratic side. Did nothing. You're right. Prime time address, just a race. <laughs> 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 he telegraphed that before the oh, speech. Oh, yeah. He didn't even want to do it. Be just yeah. like, I don't even want to come to work today, yeah. but I still do. Great yeah. to see you guys. Thank you so much. That's the State of America this week. <laughs> be sure to check out our podcast. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. We'll see you back here next week. But I... But Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.